We're going to continue here with uh, Family Matters Part 2. And how many were here last week? Listen to my mom and dad. And I know that didn't have anything to do with the stroke, okay? But they were up here giving 61 years of wisdom of marriage last weekend. And in fact, I had other pastors from American Canyon that heard the message, wanted to uh, interview them as well. And I, I had to call them back and, they, and I had to tell them, well, my mom and dad just did it as a favor to me. And they didn't want to go out and go to other churches and begin to get put on the spot like I put them on the spot. Because I didn't ask them ahead of time. I didn't give them the questions that I was going to ask them. I just asked them right up here, up front. So they didn't know what was coming. And uh, I enjoyed that. And how many here know somebody that's been married more than 60 years? Raise your hand. And that's exactly what I thought. You don't know anybody. They're the only couple I know that have been married for 60 plus years. And that's not because of, of you know, a spouse may have passed. And, and, and those are the types of things that, that happen more often than not. And so we're just blessed. My family and I, are, we're blessed to still have our parents <coughs> together 61 years. Can you say amen? amen. Well, you have a handout this, uh, this uh, afternoon. We're going to get started. Um, last week, I wanted to take a look at what successful marriages represent. What does it take? And real quickly, just to recap, my, my mom and dad said three words that kept coming up. And with my dad, I knew one would come up. And the first one was respect. How many would agree with me that in a marriage, you have to have respect for each other? Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, respect, respect. See, Aretha Franklin had it right, didn't she? Respect. And then the other word was commitment. Commitment came up. And then the third word was love. Now, we, we kind of, when we first get started in this, we, we tend to think that love should overrule everything. Well, oh, I feel so in love, and, and I feel, you know, those eyes, when I look in her eyes, I just melt in her, in her arms. Well, let me tell you, that's going to get over with in about three or four years or less, and real life is going to set in, but if you don't respect, if you don't have commitment Love goes out the window when you do have respect and when you do have commitment, love stays at the forefront. Amen? How many would agree with that? Amen. Again, we have some people here that have been married for over 30 years. Melody and Alex, how many years are you going to celebrate here coming up? Today. 37? Today. Give them a big hand. Today they are celebrating 37 years of marriage. Now, that's another huge accomplishment. They would tell you the same as my mom and dad. It's not easy. It's a process. It doesn't just, you can't take each other for granted. That's the other thing we heard as well. So again, um, that was last week. But today I want to talk to you about the family unit. How many know that the family unit, whether it's just you and your spouse, whether it's you by yourself, whether it's you and kids in the house, God's plan is for your family to flourish. Amen. Everybody say the word flourish. flourish. Amen. But we have to follow some basic family foundational principles to have that. Stand with me as I just read one verse found in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 3. 
This is our, our text. Proverbs 24 and verse 3 out of the NIV, NIV says it this way. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We pray your anointing, Father, that we would understand it clearly today of what it takes to develop, to nourish, nurture that family that we have, that we might have a family that flourishes in this day and age. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Clearly, this scripture and many others in the Bible tell you that God builds the house. God builds the house. You and I can build it, but unless it's built on the principles of God's word, it will crumble. How many have ever built a sandcastle on the beach? It looks pretty for a few minutes, but eventually there's going to be a tide that comes in and it's going to knock it down because it wasn't built on a rock. But when we build our relationships on foundational principles, they will endure those waves that come at you. 37 years, if you go talk to them after service, I'm pretty sure they can tell you about a wave or two that hit their marriage. Maybe a wave or 22, you know. All of us have those. You're no different than anybody else. Why? Because we're not perfect. There is no perfect marriage. There is no perfect relationship. But what we do is God gets two sinners together, forgiven sinners, and says, here, let me help you. Let me guide you to, to have that family that can flourish the way I designed it to. Because I don't know about you, but when I, before I came to Christ, my family was a mess. Can everybody say a hot mess? It was a hot mess. It was, that's what it was. And, and it wasn't until I came to know Christ that I truly began to discover, oh, you mean there's a process here? You mean there's a way that you want things done? You mean I don't just go out and do this and that when I want to and she can do her own thing when she wants to? Oh, it doesn't work that way? Oh, I get it. Little things like that, right? Well, God has a plan. Look at your neighbor and tell them, God has a plan. Here's one of the things that our day and age that is very common. We have such crazy schedules. You could probably look at the person you're sitting next to, whether that's your spouse or just a friend, and you know you have to plan to meet. You, you, this is how crazy it gets. You can be living in the same house, in the same house together, but really not be together. How many know what I'm talking about? Because you're walking around and everybody's doing this. Or they break out their, their pad, you know, their iPad or whatever tablet they have or their laptop and they're busy here and there's no conversation there's no, hey, how was your day? Hey, let's go do this. Let's go for a hike. Let's go explore this. Uh, let's go check out the Filipino food they're going to have in Napa tomorrow at the Copia, which is happening, because um, I'm going to be there. Um, you know, all those things because we're too busy doing this. We have to be intentional about our schedules. Listen to Psalms 39, and I have all these scriptures that I'm quoting on the backside of your handout there. Psalms 39 verse 6 says it this way. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. 
In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. Basically, just walking around. They're like spirits. They're like, you see people going in and out of your house, and you're not even aware of who's there sometimes because we're not being intentional about having a relationship. I, I have to. I have two college-aged daughters. I have a wife that works full-time. I work full-time. We have to be intentional about doing things together. Otherwise, we just we miss each other. The other day, I, I think I saw Raquel for the first time in two days. Sometimes we don't even see each other because she's busy schooling. She's got classes at night. Uh, I go to bed at night. And, uh, you know, we, we may pass each other. So we have to be intentional about, hey, Raquel, how you doing? What's going on with your life? You're not married yet, are you? Okay, uh, I'm, real, I'm being a good dad. I'm checking up on her. Listen to this other scripture found in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 6. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Amen? amen. I mean, we need an amen for that one. Here's the problem we, we also have. We have no direction oftentimes. You know, if there's one thing I see about this generation is that there's a lack of purpose. How many would agree with me? Some of our younger generation, and even extending into gray-haired people like me, have no purpose, have no direction. You, you're just wondering if the wind blows you this way, you go that way. If you, the wind blows you this way, you end up over here with never any purpose or design. And, and to me, that's a sad reality of life. God has a purpose for every one of you. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11 is clear about that. But here's what one of the things that we need to discover. We need to discover that the word of God has a plan and purpose for every one of you. But if your nose is never in the book and it's only in Facebook, you're never going to discover what that plan is for you. Amen. When you're here, you can hear what that plan of God is for your life. I know I can go back in my life and honestly say that I wish I could have done things differently when I was younger, but eventually that's part of God's will for your life to get you to where you're at now. Amen? How many could say amen to that? Amen. Right? God uses circumstances from your past to take you to your future that he has designed for you. Amen? But it's a, it's a lifelong journey discovering what this purpose is. I didn't become a pastor till I was in my 50s. Who does that? Right? Well, that was God's calling for me. Acts 20 and 24 says it this way. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Amen. And that's not only Pastor Rick's testimony or, or will, but that should be your will as well, to reach your neighbor, to reach your unsaved co-worker, to tell them, hey, look, I've discovered this thing in my life that, that it's helped me in my marriage. It's helped me in my relationship. It's helped me in, in, in being a better communicator even. God has a way of helping you be a better communicator. Did you know that? And we're going to touch on that here shortly. I, and, I, and I touched on Jeremiah 29, 11. You guys know this scripture well. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Because there's nothing worse than this than having no hope and having no future. Those are the people that unfortunately make bad choices and end their life. We've all known people that have done that, have ended their life. And it's because they saw no hope, saw no future. You are a light to these people. Did you know that? You and I are light to this world. Christ lives in you so that you can be a light to your neighbor that may be helpless and without hope today. Amen. Amen? But here's what we need to be aware of when we're seeking that purpose. Don't, don't do this if you're a parent. Don't because you think this is the right thing for your son or daughter. Don't push them into an area that you feel should be their purpose. Just because you missed out on that calling when you were young. Well, I think he or I think she can do this. No, God has a plan for everyone specifically. Amen. God has a plan for you. And if he chooses for your child to follow in your footsteps, great. That's awesome. But don't push them. Don't push them in that direction if they're not led there. Amen. Every one of us, and that goes for your spouse as well. You may try to encourage, you may use that word encourage, your spouse to follow a certain purpose. But if that wasn't God ordained, it's not going to work. You're going to fail. It's going to fall short. Amen. God has a plan and a purpose for every one of us. That's what I'm trying to say. And then the other thing we, we have a tough time is, is with right relationships because Right relationships will help us flourish. That's the thing. We can all have relationships with all kinds of people. But look at your neighbor and tell them, not every relationship is good for me. Not every relationship is good for me. You know that? Not every relationship is good for me. And God gives us this thing called wisdom that you should know. If, if you know that you know that that relationship is, is, is not meant for you, but you can go, but Lord, I think I can make a way to make this work. If you're doing that, you're playing mind games with your own self. And, and you can't be doing things like that. Right relationships help us flourish. Who do you hang with? Who are your children out with? At night, do you know where they're at? You know? Here's, here's another thing about kids. You know, it's, it's about, uh, well, you don't respect my privacy, mom. You don't respect my privacy, dad. Well, let me tell you something, child. I pay the bills. This is my house. And when you get your own house, you will have your own privacy. Amen? Can I get the parents to say amen? Amen? Okay. I just want to make sure every, every young person understood that. Because we were all there. Amen? We had our parents telling us the same thing. So forgive me if we're invading your privacy. Um, it's our house. Amen. We want to be aware of what comes into our house. So we're going to question who is this dude right here you brought to the house? Who is that girl right there? Uh, we want to know. Amen. And that is your privilege and your right. And you should do that. Amen. Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen says this. As water reflects the face so one's life reflects the heart. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, 
Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And I said it last week. Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5 had it right. One bad apple spoils a whole bunch, girl. It does. One bad apple spoils a whole bunch. You know, we've all heard that one term. Birds of the same feather flock together. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. It's not a dog. It's not a zebra. It's a duck. So be aware. Don't don't think that you can change it to a zebra. It's a duck. Leave it alone. Amen? So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Now I want to get into my quick points that I had for you. Um, this is, these are points or what I want you to focus on that you can do, that I can do. Because I, if you're a spouse here today, even if you're just dating, even if you're um, going out with someone, if you've been married for 61 years, you have to come to this conclusion. You cannot change that person. Nope. Have you ever figured this out, people that are married? You're married and, and, and then you have this discussion Years down the road, well, you knew I was that way when you married me. Have you? Don't raise your hand. You, I could tell right now who, who, who would say that just because I know you. But the problem is you can't change anybody. None of us can. I don't know what it is about this savior complex that we can develop that, well, I'm going to come in and save this person. I'm going to transform them and make them sold out for Jesus, and they're going to be Jesus' number one fan. No, the Holy Spirit can do that, but you cannot do that. Amen? Amen? The Holy Spirit can do that. So let's get that out of the way. So the first thing is to focus on things I can do is I have to learn to admit my own mistakes. How many would agree that that's not so easy? When I was young, I, I, I was right all the time. I don't know why everybody else is wrong. I, I never made a mistake when I was young. Everybody was always wrong. When I was 24, 23, 22, 20, oh my goodness, I couldn't believe all the in-net people around me. They couldn't do anything right. And I'm thinking, why can't these people get their head on right? And as you get older... You, you still want to be right, but it's not as important. Amen? Amen? It's not as important. We have to be able to own our shortcomings. Yes. When we're wrong, we're wrong. Yes. Amen? Just admit it. It's easy. The truth is easier to remember than to keep up a falsehood over the years. Amen? Yes. We all mess up. Because here's the thing I know about stories. There's, there's your side. And there's her side, and the truth is there somewhere in the middle, right? And uh, it was great last night hearing some of the stories of how couples met, because you could see that dynamic happening. There was his version, and there was her version. And it's always interesting to hear that, because that could be 20 years down the road, and it's, they're repeating the same story uh, that, that they believe happened. Now, it doesn't matter who's right. But it's hilarious to hear those things. And the great thing I, I learned, and we, saw, we all saw that we're at the Valentine's banquet last night, is that they've learned to let it go. They've learned to say, it's not important that I'm right. I know I'm right anyways. Right? When you know you're right, it's not important anyways, right? You could just let it go. 
It's the ones that don't know if they're right. They keep fighting. They keep pushing back because they're not sure. Amen. So you got to admit your own mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Romans 3.23, we know this scripture. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. And then listen to these words found in the book of Matthew. Jesus spoke these words in chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Amen. Let's let go and just admit, hey, I messed up. It's so easy to do that. And people will have much more respect for you that way. Amen. Amen. They will respect you when you can come forward and say, I messed up. I won't do it again. I'm sorry if I hurt you. Uh, I, I need you to forgive me if you did that with your spouse. I'm sorry. I need you to forgive me. Those two things. But we all mess up. The second point is, I must abandon my right to get even. Ooh, this one's hard. Especially for us married couples because we, we, we may have forgiven them, but sometimes we don't forget. We want to keep hold of, well, I remember what she did. Okay, I'm just going to lock that one away right here. And we, we truly say we forgive them, but we, have we? We're remembering and we keep remembering, well, how they hurt you. Maybe it was your, your, your children. They could hurt you as well. Maybe it was a coworker, and you don't forget that. I can ask every one of you here, if you've ever been hurt, which you have, and you will tell me in detail how you were hurt, when it happened, you could possibly even tell me what you were wearing that day that you got hurt. Because you don't forget those days. You're human. You do not forget those days. But we have to remember, forget the past and try to get back at somebody. I heard a story recently. You'll enjoy this. There was a gentleman in the drive-thru lane at McDonald's. Everybody's been to McDonald's. He's went in line. And uh, he's putting his order in, and the woman behind him starts honking at him. And she looks out the, the window and says, hurry up! And he goes, okay. So he pulls up, he pays, and he tells the cashier, I want to pay for the woman behind me. And, and, and she says, oh, wow, what a nice thought. And uh, so right away he leans out, and he goes, I got your meal. I paid for it. And she apologetically just, thank you. And so he's waiting for his meal. And so they give him his meal. And then he looks at the cashier and he says, now give me the other food I paid for too for the lady behind me. And he took that food and he took off. Because he wanted to get back at her and make her wait even longer. Isn't that crazy? That's how we operate though. We want to get, oh, no, she honked at me? I'll get her back. She honked at me on the highway, and nobody's going nowhere? I'll, I'm not going to let him go around me. I'm going to block that road off. You know, hi, highway traffic, highway madness out there, raging traffic. I mean, it's, it's a nightmare out there. We see that every day. People wanting to get even. All for what? For what? So I must abandon my right to get even. 
Romans 12 and verse 19 says it this way. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Whose job is it to avenge? The Lord's, the Lord's, the Lord's. It's not yours, it's not mine, it's the Lord's, amen? And he will take care of you. You are his child. You are a child of the king, and he will take care of you. Can I get an amen? Amen, amen, amen. Thirdly, I must abandon my right to be right. So we said my right to, be, to get even. Now this one is my right to be right. Again, I kind of uh, referenced the stories last night. Well, you know how we met. It was this way. Well, no, it wasn't quite that way. It was this way. Now, great going back and forth. It was all in, in fun, humorous, and they've learned to, to let go of that, which is the beauty of that. But sometimes we're in the middle of a story, and I've seen this happen, not with anybody here, but I've seen this happen. Uh, a wife, a spouse will be saying a story and the other spouse will jump in. Well, no, not exactly like that, but it happened this way. And then the other spouse goes, well, you tell the story then, right? And it just, there's a friction that begins to happen at that particular moment. There can also be a disrespect that, it can, that can occur if you're not careful doing that. So you, I'm warning you right now, Please be careful when you do that. You may think you're right in telling that story, and you may be right, but why win the battle and lose the war? You can win that little battle right there for that moment and lose the war. That means you're going to be sleeping on the couch that night, is what that means. That means you're going to be sleeping on the couch the next night and that whole week. Amen? So I must abandon my right to be right. We're often guilty of this as spouses. I can't tell you how many times I thought I was right and then I realized, oh no, Anna was right. So I will tell her, no honey, you're right. You're absolutely right. But so she'll want to keep, so who's right? You know, we got, we got to let go of that, right? We all got to let go of that. Sometimes, and I've heard this term, maybe you've heard it before. Sometimes we have to agree to disagree agreeably. Have you ever heard that term? Let's agree to disagree agreeably. That means I don't agree with what you said. You don't agree with what I said, but we'll agree to walk out of here agreeably. Okay? We can live with each other. Don't you wish politics was like that today? Don't you wish the world was like that today? It's not like that. Everybody has to be right. Everybody has to be right. Proverbs 21 and verse 12 says this, A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. But the Lord weighs the heart. What are our motives? Is our motive right? That's what he's weighing. What is your motive when you're trying to be right? Uh, are, are you just playing with that person? Are you intentionally trying to hurt that person? What is your motive? The Lord weighs the heart. Amen? Amen. And then the fourth point. I have five points. Here's the fourth point. I must apply God's grace to my relationships. I must apply God's grace to my relationships. This is God's ability to do something for someone else. That's called God's grace. 
What is grace again? It's God's unmerited favor. That means we don't deserve it. You and I don't deserve his grace. But he says, I love you so much that I give you my grace. I bestow my grace upon you. And in the same way in our relationships with one another, even with our children, parents, sometimes they're right. And sometimes you have to take the higher road and extend grace upon your children. Upon those that you normally wouldn't think I need to extend grace to. Amen? Amen. Applying grace in our relationships will be a blessing to everybody around you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone and and been having a, a discussion with somebody, your spouse, maybe a coworker, and you realize at that moment, you know, in the big picture, this isn't worth it, and I'm going to apply grace, even though I know I'm right. I'm going to, I'm going to take the the big step, and I'm going to say, okay, we'll we'll let it go. You're right. You know, you extend grace, and do you know that you can become blessed by doing that? God has a way of just blessing the disposition, the peace the strength that he gives you in that moment, he just rains it down on you, pours it over you. Amen. But, but it's because you extended grace and then God gives you more grace to replace that grace that you just dispensed. He's, he's wanting to keep your grace tank full. Amen. Because we need grace more than ever in this world. We need grace tomorrow morning when you go to your jobs. You're going to need grace tomorrow. Retirement people... It's, you know, it's a, it's a mad rush to McDonald's to get that breakfast. You need grace, amen? You need grace. And then my last point is I, well, let me read the scripture found in Ephesians 4 and verse 29. This is the New King James Version. It says it this way. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, to the hearers. How many times do you go about your own business and you go to Walmart and you see that argument happening out there in the parking lot or even in the store? I mean, they're cussing each other out in the middle of Walmart or wherever you're going. Now, is that grace? No. You know what's going to happen after. It's just problem after problem after problem. There's no solution there. God's word is saying, don't let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. You know, I, I, had a, I had a foul language problem. I worked in construction when I was younger, when I was a teenager, 18 through 21. That's all I knew was construction work. So when you're working in construction work, you're hanging around with a lot of guys that use nothing but foul, foul, foul. I mean, it was foul back then, foul language. And you pick that up as a young man and they be, it becomes impressionable on you. And so then you begin to speak the same way. I learned that language. I knew the language, but it was just really reinforced in me. So at work, we're all, we talk one way and at home, hey, honey, how you doing? But at work, it was a whole nother way. And it was when I became a believer that I heard someone say, it was a minister that said this in his sermon. He said, foul language is the forced expression of a feeble mind. And I never forgot that. And I'm going, whoa, that's me. And, I, and, and you know what? I didn't want to have a feeble mind. 
I didn't want to think in my mind that I had a feeble mind. So I said, Lord, help me not to ever utter foul language again. And he took that away from me. Amen. And he can do the same for you today. He can do the same just like that. Because foul language is not what the Lord wants coming out of your mouth. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And again, my last point as I close at this time, uh, I must learn to live in forgiveness. And this is really what, what is hardest probably to do. I think these first four can be done very easily. But point number five, Learning to live in forgiveness. We must learn to forgive. Look at your neighbor and tell them, I need to learn to forgive. forgive. You cannot live your life holding a grudge against the person sitting next to you or anybody else. You cannot live your life holding a grudge. Holding a grudge, and uh, I heard somebody, I was speaking to somebody this morning, <clears throat> they had not been talking to this particular individual. And um, they said, no, because they did X. I've blocked them out of my life and I'm not talking to them. And I just found out that that relationship is mending now. They've allowed them back in their life. Because life is too short, amen? Life is too short. You cannot have a grudge And hold on to a grudge for your life. You are the one losing out on that. You are the one losing out on that. So we have to learn to forgive. Here's the bottom line, church. If Jesus Christ chose to forgive you and I, how in the world can you and I choose not to forgive someone else? And hold a grudge against someone else. That does not make any sense. You and I don't deserve mercy or grace. Yet our Heavenly Father sent His Son to die on a cross. To suffer on that cross. Get beat, whipped, mocked, spit upon, beat upon, speared in His side. All because He chose to die for you. To forgive you of your past your present and future. He said, I came to to set you free from a past of bondage. I came to set you free from a past so that you can love, that you can forgive and extend that same mercy and grace upon your neighbor. But for many of us, we choose to hold on to grudges. We choose to hold on because they wronged us and we will never forgive them for what they said. I want to encourage you today, if that's you, today you can be set free. Because I believe with all my heart, that is the number one thing that will keep you locked up. It will eat at you at night when nobody's around. It will eat at you. It will tear you up. And what you're really doing is you're empowering one person out of 7 billion people on this planet to abuse you, to abuse your life. You have empowered one person out of 7 billion to do that. Why? Why? 
you can leave it on an altar and say, Lord, I give it to you. I choose today to forgive that person. And I choose right now, Father, that for my life. I pray right now, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of that attitude. Cleanse me. Give me a new spirit, a renewed mind. And when you begin to pray that, the Lord will forgive you instantaneously. Amen.